It's good to be here. And uh, I'll try to keep from saying a lot of extra words because of my throat this morning. <laughs> but I, I, I would love to share this passage of scripture with you and make some comments on it and we look at it together and so forth. Um, <clears throat> I, uh, <clears throat> I had a problem preaching last Sunday because of coughing so much and I'm praying that uh, that wouldn't happen uh, this morning. Um, <clears throat> but I invite you to Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8, and you could, uh, <clears throat> I'm sure there's been many, many titles given to, uh, <clears throat> to this chapter. One of them is, <clears throat> one way of looking at it is in looking at Romans chapter 6 and 7 and 8 together, and uh, people have talked about chapter 6 being sanctification and, and sin, and then chapter 7, sanctification and the law, in chapter 8, Sanctification and the Spirit. Another uh, title that could be given to this would be The Potential of the Holy Spirit's Power in You. Now, um, I, uh, I didn't realize until just this morning when I was looking at something that uh, four and a half years ago, I preached a, 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 a sermon here, and I entitled it uh, The Potential of the Holy Spirit's Power or, or either Work in, in Us. And uh, so sometimes when I preach from this passage, following that, I've just simply called it The Potential of the Holy Spirit's Power in, in Us Part Two. <laughs> okay. So this is not a repeat of number one that I preached four and a half years ago. This is part two. This is I did not uh, preach from Romans eight uh, four and a half years ago. I, I I assume I've been here sometime in between that four and a half year period. I'm not sure, but that's that's beside the point. Just to say a couple more things quickly about Romans. Six, seven, and eight. And first of all, I would just say this: uh, if you haven't looked at Romans six, seven, and eight together uh, for for a while, I'd encourage you uh, to to do that. Maybe they, either that could be homework or either your personal devotions or something. Uh, but and probably spend the most time with chapter eight. Okay, even though we look at it the, the, this morning. Um, but. Uh, Talking about chapter 6 and sin, the word sin is mentioned in chapter 6 17 times. And then talking about seven, chapter 7 and, and the law, the law is mentioned in chapter 7 23 times. Then when you get to chapter 8, the spirit is mentioned in chapter 8 19 times. And the spirit is never mentioned in chapter 6 and 7 but 19 times in chapter 8. When you talk about an emphasis on the Spirit in chapter 8, it's certainly there. So when you take personal time with this at home, just realize that, you know, 
and let the Spirit jump out at you and let the Spirit teach you and let the Spirit move in your heart and so in a new and fresh way as he, as he really wants to. Um, I think I'll, I'll break this up into uh, what is maybe four different sections here as we look at it this morning. And I think I'm going to ask uh, some of you to, to read these sections one at a time just so I don't have to. <laughs> um, but uh, the first, uh, we'll first look at the first uh, 13 verses. Romans chapter 8, the first 13 verses. And um, you, could, you could think about this as the Spirit delivering us from the power of the flesh. Verses 1 to 13, the Spirit delivering us from the power of the, of the flesh. Um, <clears throat> Brother Wade, would you mind reading the first 13 verses for us? Okay, Evan, would you want to do that? Okay. Walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus hath made me free from the law of sin and death. For what the law could not do, in that it was weak through the flesh, God sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh, and for sin, condemns sin in the flesh, that the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled in us, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. For they that are after the flesh do mind the things of the flesh, but they that are after the Spirit the things of the Spirit. For to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. Because the carnal mind is enmity against God, for it is not subject to the law of God, neither indeed can be. So then they that are in the flesh cannot please God. But ye are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if so be that the Spirit of God dwell in you. Now if any man have not the Spirit of Christ, he is none of his. And if Christ be in you, the body is dead because of sin, but the Spirit is life because of righteousness. But if the Spirit of him that raised up Jesus from the dead dwell in you, he that raised up Christ from the dead shall also quicken your mortal bodies by his Spirit that dwelleth in you. Therefore, brethren, we are debtors, not to the flesh, to live after the flesh. For if ye live after the flesh, ye shall die. But if ye through the Spirit do mortify the deeds of the body, ye shall live. Thank you. Thank you. I think for the purpose here this morning, point out some things that the Spirit uh, is or is doing or wants to do in this section of verses. So in verse one, so just just follow it with your eyes uh, in your in your verses in your Bible as I mention these things. In verse one, the Spirit is a companion, someone to walk with. Okay, you don't have to be out here doing it on your own. The Spirit is our companion, someone to walk with. That's what it says in the last part of verse one who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. 
Do you have that companion? Are you enjoying that companion? Someone to walk with. You can't do it on your own. Don't try to do it on your own. In verse 2, the Spirit gives life. Do you need a new shot of life in, in your life? <laughs> a new shot of life? Make sure you're totally yielded to the Spirit for that power, for that power of life. The Spirit of life gives freedom as freed us. So it, it, it gives life. That's, that's verse 2. Again in verse 4, He's our companion. Verse 4. Who walk not after the flesh, but after the spirit. Walk, <coughs> walking with the spirit. Walking after the spirit. A companion to walk with. In verse 5, someone to follow and obey. Yes, follow and obey. For they that after the spirit do mind the things of the flesh. They that after the spirit the things of... Someone to follow and obey. Verse 5. In verse 6, he gives life and peace. But to be spirit, when it says spiritually minded there in the King James, it really means spirit minded, capital S. But to be spirit minded is life and peace. Are you enjoying that? Someone to give life and peace in verse 6. In verse 9, the Spirit is someone to be in and someone to be in you. Make sure you read that and get that in in there. But ye are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. If so be that the Spirit of God dwell in you. You see that? That's why I said it that way. Someone to be in and someone to be in you. Are you enjoying it? Do you understand that? Are you feeling that? You know, do you comprehend that and, and, and apply it in, in, your, in your walk, in your daily walk? In verse 11. The Spirit raised Jesus and will also give life to your dead body. That's what it says in verse 11. And in verse 13, provides power to kill the misdeeds in our life. What does it say exactly? You live after the flesh, you shall die. But through the Spirit, you do mortify the deeds, the misdeeds of the body you shall live. You do it through the Spirit. But if you, through the Spirit, provides power to kill our misdeeds. Let's look at the next little section of verses. Verses 14 to 17. Uh, Dave Martin, as you read those, 14 to 17. with us here, that 
so be that we suffer with him that we may be also glorified together. Okay, thank you. So if you want to give a title to that section, you could call it The Spirit Gives Sonship. The Spirit Gives Sonship. Um, again, in verse 14, the Spirit is someone to be led by. Are you allowing Him to lead you? Or when the, there's times of, which it happens all day long sometimes, uh, many times in a day we have to make a decision. Well, what, what should I do here? What, 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 do, we, do we end up thinking, well, uh, I'll just do it my way. <laughs> well, I think really in my mind it would be better to do it this way. Rather than listening to the heeding of the Spirit, Verse 14, for as many as are led by the Spirit of God. How, how do you apply that? How does how, that happening in your life? Led by the Spirit of God. They are the sons of God. So in verse 14, someone to be led by. It also, by the way, it states it there in verse 14. <clears throat> the Spirit in our life uh, proves and supports our sonship. Proves and supports that we are sons of God. And in verse 15, he may, the way it's written there, the spirit of adoption, he's saying that the spirit makes us, makes us sons. The spirit of adoption. And you know, the word adoption, the Apostle Paul uses it at other places about being adopted into the family. It makes us sons, uh, the spirit does there in verse 15. And then verse 16. The Spirit testifies with our own spirit. The Spirit testifies with our inner man, with our spirit. That's wonderful. That's wonderful to have that companionship, that close connection there. <clears throat> Let's move on to the next section of verses then. <clears throat> And uh, uh, Luke, would you be able to read a few verses then next? Okay. Um, verses uh, 18 to 30. Verses 18 to 30. And uh, you can call this, the Spirit assures us of future glory. The Spirit assures us of future glory. Okay, go ahead and read 18 to 30. Saved by hope. Excuse me. 
But we're saved by hope. But hope that is seen is not hope. For what a man seeth, why doeth he yet hope for? For if we hope for that we see not, then do we with patience wait for it. Likewise, the Spirit also helpeth for our infirmities. For we know not what we should pray for as we ought. But the Spirit itself maketh intercession for us with prayers which cannot be uttered. And he that searcheth the heart knoweth what is in what is in the mind of the Spirit, because he maketh intercession for the saints according to the will of God. And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are called according to his purpose. For whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate to to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Moreover, whom he did predestinate, them he also called, and whom he called, them he also justified, and whom he justified, them he also glorified. All right. Thank you so much for reading those. <clears throat> okay, let's just pick out a few things uh, in these verses. <clears throat> Verses 18 to 30, the Spirit assures of future glory. Um, <clears throat> let's look at verse 23. Um, <clears throat> uh, but, but let me say this in general first. In thinking about the Spirit assuring us of future glory, we, we can have that assurance of future glory because of our life with the Spirit, because of our companionship with the, with the Spirit. Uh, but look at verse 23 right now. Um, not only they, but ourselves also, which have the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves grown within ourselves, waiting for the adoption to wit, the redemption of our body. So there it says that the Spirit is providing or giving us a foretaste of future glory. Um, and the, uh, the first fruits of the Spirit there, really, I, I believe uh, from what I understand, it's referring to the, to the gifts, to the, to the gifts of the Holy Spirit, the gifts of the Spirit. We ourselves, um, which have the gifts of the Holy Spirit, even ourselves grown within ourselves. So, so we, our, our bodies are, are like some, our, just our, our flesh and blood, that is, just our, our physical bodies are like a lot of other uh, parts of the, of the creation. So it says in verse 22, for instance, for we know that the whole creation groaneth and travaileth in pain together until now. I mean, the uh, things, things decay, things go downhill, right? Okay, well, he's saying, <clears throat> uh, even we that have the Spirit, even our bodies in which uh, encompasses the, uh, the Spirit of God, and we, 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 because of the Spirit in us, we have the gifts of the Spirit, but even this old body decays also and gets old and dies, and we groan with the rest of of creation because of that. But we, we look forward to the redemption of our body, you see. That's what it says in the end, end of verse 23. Look at something in verse 26. 
We'll come back and look at a couple verses here in between, but look at verse 26 right now. Likewise, the Spirit also helpeth our infirmities. That means helps our weaknesses. I looked in a few different <clears throat> translations and, and at least three of them use the word weaknesses there. Likewise, the Spirit helps our weaknesses. That's, that's so beautiful, just that statement in itself. Uh, maybe uh, you could, if that could be helpful to you, you could write that down and put it on your mirror or on your refrigerator or something. <clears throat> Likewise, the Spirit also helpeth our weaknesses. And so then he gives um, an example of that in what he says next. For instance, for we know not what we should pray as we ought. And sometimes in, in our weaknesses, we don't know how to pray about our weaknesses. Like, you know, I don't know how to pray about sometimes about my scratchy throat or my cough, you know. Uh, maybe the Lord wants to use it somehow for his glory. You know, I'd, I'd rather <clears throat> just have a real clear throat that I could speak loud and, and really emphasize some things and and speak as much as I want, you know, but maybe the Lord has something else in mind sometimes. So we don't, sometimes we don't know how to pray about many, many things because of our weaknesses, because we have limited knowledge. We have so many limitations. We are so weak sometimes. But likewise, the Spirit helpeth us in our weaknesses, for we know not what, what we should pray for as we ought. And don't stop there. And the verse doesn't stop there. But the Spirit itself maketh intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. Praise God. That's so wonderful. That's so warming. That's so assuring. That's so beautiful. Let's think about this thing of hope in verses 24 and 25. And you've probably heard this before, but so many times in the New Testament, the word hope is used in a different way than we often use it in our current everyday English language. Because a child might say, well, I hope I get a bicycle for, for my birthday. Well, is that, the, is that the meaning of the word hope it, it's, it's talking about here? And most of you would realize, no, it's not. <clears throat> I hope I get a bicycle for my birthday. I, I, would like to, I would really like to get a bicycle for my birthday. <clears throat> but no. <clears throat> A hope here, and, and you probably looked this up in a in the Greek or in a concordance or something to realize the, the difference of meaning as compared to or as contrasted with the way we use it today. Um, expectation or confidence. That's how it's used here. Expectation or confidence, true faith genuine faith in 
anticipation with pleasure that, that you know is there. Anticipation, not that it might not work out, but anticipation with knowledge that it's there, that it will work out. We look forward to the culmination of our salvation, the salvation of our body, uh, the, the salvation in heaven with, with Christ. But hope, the second part of verse 24, but hope that is seen is not hope. Uh, for what a man seeth, why yet doth he hope for? But if we hope for that which we see not, then we also, then do we with patience wait for it. <clears throat> Uh, another passage to, to think about if, if you have a, tr a problem with, with the word hope and, and how it's used, uh, just make sure you, uh, you read 1 John and count how many times the writer there uses the word no, K-N-O-W-N, or no, K-N-O-W, uh, <clears throat> or known, no or known. And so this hope is... is is looking forward to something that's true and steadfast and sure, expectation, confidence. That's what this hope means. Looking now at verse 29, verse 29, concerning uh, foreknowledge and foreknow. For whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. It's talking about God's foreknowledge. God foreknew. God knew who would be believers. He knew. Long before you were where you would be today. Not where you would be just physically, but where you would be spiritually with him. He knew that. And those that would be believers, those that would be companions of his Holy Spirit, those that would be walking with him, would be his children. He knew that. And you can look at many other scriptures that Go along with this. <clears throat> I, I just love the way uh, it, this section concludes in, in verse uh, 30. <laughs> you know, God, God doesn't do something halfway. God doesn't start a project and, and, and leave it sit. God completes his work. Praise God for that as he tries to complete it in me. He doesn't try it in me. He, 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 he works in me, and I, I, I try to understand that and, and put it to practice in my life. I hope you do too. But uh, So with this thing of his ongoing work and the fact that he, com he starts a work and he completes it, with that in mind, let me read verses 29 and 30. 
For whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Moreover, whom he did predestinate, them he also called. Whom he called, them he also justified. And whom he justified, them he also glorified. Praise God. He completes his work. Not a halfway job, but all the way. All right. <laughs> Let's look at the last verses then. <laughs> um, Brother Swartz, I'm wondering if you'd read the last verses, verses 31 to 39. What shall we then say to these things? If God be for us, who can be against us? He that spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him? That's, that's it right there. Uh, there's many things you could say about this section. First of all, he starts out in verse 31. What shall we say to these things? I, I just really would love to have known what was going on in the, in the mind of Apostle Paul when he wrote these verses. <laughs> just what his face looked like. Yeah. He might have been talking so fast that his scribe couldn't keep up. <laughs> um, when he says these things in verse 31, what, what things do you think he's talking about? I really believe he's talking about the things he just already mentioned in the verses before. And I believe he was talking about the things he's, he's trying to say and, and, and is going to say in the verses that follow. So these things, I think it's, it's thoughts and verses on both sides of that. What shall we say to these things? I, I hope we don't, you know, take for granted that everybody understands the second part of verse 31. So, so maybe we should take just a moment or two to talk about it. So the, verse 31b, if God be for us, who can be against us? It, that's a question, right? So, did he give the answer? Or, right away, did he, did he, he, I mean, you know as well as I, <coughs> I hope you've heard 
thought of this before or heard preachers talk about this before, but Jesus himself asked questions sometimes and didn't give the straight out answer. Sometimes he may have given an answer later on in another way. Sometimes he didn't give an answer at all. Other writers have asked questions too like this and don't give an answer necessarily. In cases like that, why, why isn't the answer given? Because the question is so, what? Obvious, Obvious or easy. Yes, exactly. Make sure you understand that. <clears throat> Jesus asked questions like that. Other people did the question. They, 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 they gave the question just to make us stop and think, oh, well, what? Well, duh, of course. They were doing that back then, too. I don't know if they used the word duh or not, but, but they meant it. If God be for us, of course, if, if God is for us, of course, no power, nobody can be against us. Nobody can overcome or overtake us. And dear people, I'm suggesting that that little half a verse, the end of verse 31, if God be for us, who can be against us? Paul is saying almost the same thing in almost every verse after that, just in a different way. Think about it that way. He spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all. How shall we not with him also freely give us all things? How could you say verse 32 in a shorter way? You could say it this way. If God be for us, who can be against us? Look at verse 33. Who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? It is God that justifieth. It is God that justifieth. If God be for us, who can be against us? Nobody. Verse 34, who is he that con condemneth? It is Christ that died, yea, rather is risen again, who is even at the right hand of God, who also maketh intercession for us. Hey, do you want to say verse 34 in shorter words? Just say, if God be for us, who can be against us? I'm not going to say that anymore, but you could go through the rest of these verses and, and say that same thing. Another thing you could do in these last verses, actually, did I say that these things, these things I'm suggesting starts before verse 31? I'm suggesting he's talking about things he's just said previous to that. So you could go back to about, about verse 36, for, uh, 26, for instance, and start making a list of these things. Okay? And I'm not going to do it right now. That's your homework. Okay. But, but I went back to verse 26 and I started making a list of these things all the way through verse 39, the rest of the chapter. And I noted there's maybe at least 11 things there that he's probably talking about. These things, these wonderful things, these beautiful things, these great things of God toward us through his spirit. <clears throat> By the way, 
after verse 27, he doesn't use the word spirit anymore. But dear ones, it's certainly there. The whole chapter is full of the spirit. I said the spirit is used, (coughs) is mentioned 19 times in this chapter. And he used it very heavily right there in verses 26 and 27. So in verse 26, the spirit is used two times. Verse 27, it's mentioned again. And it's through that work of the spirit in your heart and mind that we can experience the rest of the chapter that we can experience these things. So let me just conclude by uh, emphasizing this thing of our assurance of salvation. Uh, He already did it in uh, earlier, but uh, look at... (coughs) Look at how he begins verse 38. For I am persuaded, and you ought to be too. We all should be. I I trust we are. I am persuaded. That's his assurance. He's expressing his assurance there. How could he say that? Because of the work and the power of the Holy Spirit in his life and his yielding to that. That's how. That's why. I am persuaded. The power of the Holy Spirit in our hearts and lives. The potential, the potential of the Holy Spirit's work in us. It's the potential is tremendous. The potential of the power is tremendous as we allow that to happen in and through us. When, when he knew something about his old flesh and sin working in his old body in verses in chapter 6 and, and the law and the, the good schoolmaster it was to bring him to Christ, and, but yet the, the law itself could not give him assurance of salvation. Praise God for chapter 8. And the beautiful work of the Spirit, the potential of the power of the Holy Spirit in our hearts and lives. Um, I trust that you know that you are experiencing that. If not, it's 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 there. It's there for you. It's there for us. God God w- would love to just continue to fill us with His Holy Spirit and 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 have His Spirit flow in and through us to help us today, to help us tomorrow, to help us next week, to help us be a brighter shining light for him in this dark world in which we live. The potential of the Holy Spirit's work and power in us, it's, it's, it's beyond comprehension. <coughs> I trust you won't allow your old self to limit that work in you. I would like to, us to close by singing uh, a song number 311 in hymns of the church. It's a song sometimes, it's, at least in cases I've known, we often sing at the beginning of the service. I'm not quite sure why, because it's not talking about necessarily asking God to bring his spirit into the beginning of a service. It's a prayer 
It seems like to me it's a, come gracious spirit, 311. It's a prayer that seems like it's most fitting to, 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 to sing maybe at the end of a service where uh, we've been challenged by the movement of the spirit and the work of the spirit in our hearts. And it's a prayer on that behalf. <coughs> so a song that's so familiar like this, what can happen? We can think about what we're going to have for lunch or what we're going to do tomorrow or something. And, and, and the words will flow very nicely out of our mouths because it's so familiar. I trust you won't allow it to do that as we sing it now, but you allow each phrase to be a prayer from your heart, asking the Spirit to come in and, and move in you in a fresh and new way. <laughs> 